3: Hey!
2: About. Greg Zerline yeah. sends the Rams to the Super Bowl! Oh,
1: yeah. LA wow. will play for the Lombardi!
4: Hey, 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 welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek C. Paul, my co-host, partner in crime this evening. The man, the former Los Angeles Rams offensive back, Michael Stewart. A little bit of a hiatus, I had to switch a couple things around last Sunday, but we're back and we're better than ever. At least I think we are. Mike, how you doing, man?
2: Man, I'm doing great, DC, and uh, man, looking forward to getting into this, uh, what should be some fun this evening. It's
4: kind of a mixed bag, too, because we're already, because of the early game, we're already having to move past Sunday, and now we got to you know, go ahead and get in previewing the Seahawks. So... I'm not even sure how to properly transition from what it was. A, it was a tough loss in many ways, frustrating loss. And and I'm seeing a lot of folks on social media, especially hammering the Rams. And then I, I see the defender saying, hey, they're three and one. They, they're still in great shape. If you do the math all the way out to the rest of the year, they're going to be 12 and four. And I, I, I struggle with all that. And mainly because it's our job, Mike. To cover this team, to cover it honestly, when they are doing things right, we should point it out, note it, talk about it, praise it, okay? But I'm also believing as a journalistic outlet, which we are, that we have a responsibility to call out the things that aren't so good. And I could tell you on Sunday night when I'm running social media... So in the feedback that I got from fans, somebody said that we were panicking, so on and so forth. And I'm sitting there thinking, what are you talking about man? I'm just being honest about what I see. And what I'm seeing is there are problems here that need to be addressed real quickly or you're in trouble. I don't know if that's what you saw. And this is the first chance we've had to really talk about it. So here you go, man. What are your thoughts?
2: Man, I totally agree. But we've talked about this. And I keep going back to... When you're not playing everyone in the preseason, and again, do you have to make the starters go three or four quarters? No. But I think the idea that you don't get ready for the season by not playing, I think it's showing that that's a little something that needs to be tweaked a little bit. So to me, it just looks like a team, again, you're, you can't play pretty good one week and then, you know, another team puts up 60 on you the following week. That just doesn't usually happen in the pros.
4: You don't, and that's my concern. Like, this defense for the Rams, this, this defense has been great all year to this point. And then what happened? Are we serious? 55 points. Defenders say right away, well, four turnovers, short field. Fair. But Jameis Winston still threw for almost 400 yards and four touchdowns against you. And they were they had exactly. two huge runs called back. Let's right. be honest, that defense got torched on Sunday. It looked like they had no answers. If they had answers, they still won this game despite four turnovers. And that's a concern across the board.
2: No doubt. And when you think about it, I mean, you're coming off somewhat, I think, an emotional win against Cleveland. You know, you go on the road, get back, but... Still, you figure you're playing at home and I think we've talked a little bit more or we can talk a little bit more about some of the advantages of playing at home and the disadvantages of playing at home. When you get at home, you feel like you're somewhat in your comfort zone and sometimes you just do things a little bit different or just the fact that it's, let's say you have family, uh, you are going to spend more time with the family. Oh, I'll go to the hotel right when I need to be there. Not so much that you're going early to start focusing in on a game, or just the fact that hey man, we're playing at home. These guys are offers; they got to come across. They playing in our backyard, and the next thing you know, you're in this dogfight, and you come up on the short end.
4: Yeah, but home field to me should be a sacred ground, and you would think sometimes, yeah, you're going to come out flat. You're going to you're going to have your struggles. It's week four at this point, and it's a team that they should have beaten. I mean, I think Tampa Bay is much improved. I think they are a serious contender out there in the South. The South is not the division that everybody thought it was. I have concerns concerning the Saints, especially with Drew Brees out. The Bucks are, to me, a playoff contender, but they're still more talented than the Bucs are. And they have that talent at some of the premium positions as to where Tampa Bay should not, well, I'll be honest, man, they shouldn't have been in this game. Going into the fourth quarter, the Rams have just too much talent there. They got out schemed, in my view. They got out schemed by the Bucks, and that's something I want to address. I can, I, I can tell by the you, you have something you want to say, but
2: here's here's <laughs> no. I mean, it's it's so much. Uh, you're you're hitting it tonight, uh, DC, in the fact that. These are the things that you look back and go, okay, what happened? Because, again, I mean, 55 points, that's a lot of points for an NFL game, especially against a Wade Phillips. And I didn't get a chance to go back and look through, but I don't know that he's ever given up 55 points. You know what I mean? This is Wade Phillips.
4: But it wasn't even that. I mean, this is a team we're used to. We're used to them adjusting. We're used to defensively, you have struggles, you go into halftime, and you adjust to what you're seeing. And I didn't see a whole lot of that in the second half. They played a lot of the, oh, this you know, this, this, this is the part that pulls my hair out. We saw the return of a dun-dun-dun Fisher soft zone, giving all kinds of space underneath that we normally would not see. We, we saw a lot in the old Fisher days, drove people mad. And for me, that's concerning the lack of adjustments. This is, this is what they're known for. Like go This is why they've been a second-half team for much of the year. It's how they beat Cleveland. They made the adjustments. They went out there, and after that first drive where Cleveland went downfield in the second half, they shut down Cleveland the rest of the way. They've been good at making those adjustments throughout the year, and all of a sudden, it's like they had nothing. There was nothing they could do. You, you can't tell me that. you got the players. Offensively, Looking at reports today, this is crazy. Pro Football Focus has the Rams offensive line ranked dead last in the league. Dead last. And it blows my mind at how quickly people are just ready to hammer Jared Goff. It's all Goff. It's all Goff. Put all the blame on Goff. I don't care if you're Tom Brady. If you've got nobody protecting you, you're going to make mistakes. We've seen Tom Brady, go back, geez, this last weekend, Tom Brady did not have a great game against the Bills, against that defense out there. The best quarterbacks in the world cannot function properly if they're not protected. Doesn't absolve Jared Goff of some of the mistakes he made, but football's a team sport. It's a team sport, and you can pinpoint a lot of problems on you can on, on Jared Goff's stats, you go look at Jared Goff. he. Well, he he threw three interceptions. He had a fumble. Well, look at the fumble. The fumble. He's running for his life. He's running for his life. He's down. He's losing the game. He's trying to make a play. So, should he have had the ball put away? Yes. But you can at least understand the play emanates from an offensive line that didn't protect him, and that's the problem. Goff deserves to be criticized for his mistakes, but we can't let the rest of the team off the hook. In I'm. I don't want to go at Sean McVay and hammer Sean. I think Sean McVay is one of the best young coaches in the league. I believe that one day he will guide the Rams to a certain victory. He's also 33 years old and still learning how to be a head coach in this league. He's going to make mistakes. And when you are scheming, your offensive game plan, the point where your run to pass ratio makes your team one dimensional from kickoff, you are already hurting your team. And the instant response I got to that was, well, you think you know so much more than, than Sean McVay? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is Sean McVay probably got lost in the game. He probably saw, hey, but there's openings out there to throw the ball. Let's go for it. In the process, you get lost in the game, and you lose track of the fact that you need to do this. You need to run the ball. Even if you're not successful, teams have to be held honest at that line of scrimmage and think they could run the ball this time. They could do this. All Tampa Bay had to do is pin their ears back and just go. They had the offensive line on their heels from the moment, and that doesn't happen if that offensive line is settled and creating push to begin the game. And then going later on, even when they're down 21 nothing, Mike, they still could have ran the ball. They had plenty of time, and they just wouldn't do it. And look what happened.
2: Yeah, and, you know, the thing is, as you're making adjustments, and I'm thinking about a little bit about our game last week, as you're calling plays and doing things and that's what I would love to just be in the film room and that would be something cool, you know, instead of hard knocks, let's learn actually what happens on, you know, Monday when you come back and watch the film and, you know, are they correcting guys and what are they learning and how many coverages where guys are either out of place or doing their own thing, if you will, or the breakdown, because usually when you give up that many points, There's going to be breakdowns. You can say, well, it was turnovers, this, but what happens is once the route is on, it's like the floodgates open, and it seems like there's not a whole lot you can do offensively, special teams, defensively, and it's just almost you're at the, the mercy of the team you're playing for them to take the foot off the gas. Well, the Buccaneers knew, well, they could never do that because at the end of the day, the Rams still have enough players as you've noted that can get it done and really make a difference in a quick way so they just kept kept at it kept at it kept at it and the next you know ending score 55 40 that being said yes you got wade phillips somewhat a i don't know if he's considered a guru but his defenses don't typically give up that many points there's usually adjustment made somewhere in there that at least stops the bleeding, if you will. Offensively, obviously, McVeigh's got a gotten a lot of attention and recognition, if you will, for being a guy who can put points on the board. But we've kind of seen the Rams offense not look like it did in years past in regards of getting up the field, you know, big plays, and I'm sure we'll talk about the whole Todd Gurley fiasco that's gone on now for four weeks in a row so you put all those factors together yeah you can lose a, a a game and that's why when people say "Oh, this team is oh miami they're so horrible no those are professional football players and on any given day if things click they can beat whomever so tampa bay did a good job pass off to them i guess
4: well let me ask you what do you mean i, I have to ask this question <laughs> hold, on, hold on hold on let's pause we have not given the shout outs yet and before we delve into that whole next topic let's do yes. that okay this but this episode is sponsored by Jim Hawkins book Hollywood team we also want to ask you to head over to Apple music where listen we could really really use those five-star reviews we really appreciate them they help us move up the charts They help us get exposed and Look what else we gotta do, for you, man We're putting podcasts out for you left and right. Come on, show us some love. You could find us also on Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker. You name it, we're there. I did a count last week and we're on over 25 different podcast outlets. I could not believe it. it you put it on five of the five major ones, and you spread like wildfire on iHeartRadio. Radio. You name it again, we are there. We have a contest still brewing. We upped the ante last week, folks. I mean, we seriously upped the ante. Once we get the 205 star reviews, one lucky winner will get themselves a personalized Rams replica jersey, however they want. We'll pay for it through NFLShop.com. This is how it works: head over to Apple Music, leave that five-star review, send us an email to RamsTalk451945. 1945 geez, I say it right? RamsTalk1945 at gmail.com with a copy of your entry, so we know who to reward. Because like I've said before, Apple is sometimes different than your. Actual email address or Twitter handle, so we need to maybe all verify who you are. And then, guess what? Once we got 200, we're there. We'll hook you up with that jersey, we'll pick a winner. So, help us out, spread the word. We would really appreciate it. And as part of that, we have a huge, huge lineup of podcasts Rams Uncensored, Butting Heads, Rampage Radio. He's off this week with, with uh, technical issues there. Rams Brothers. They posted on Tuesday night. So we have a lineup of Rams podcasts. All of them can help you wet your whistle in a very different way. We're diverse. Check it out, guys and gals. Share. Spread the word. We appreciate it. Okay. So what do you mean Todd Gurley, Mike?
2: Todd Gurley? Who is that? Five carries, 16 yards?
4: It was very interesting to me seeing his comments in the presser afterwards. The things he talked about. I think, honestly, there's something going on. And I'm not sure people want to really address it. I think it goes two ways. Tommy has talked about it. You know, some of the conversations he's seen with Todd Gurley and a lot of people are always asking Todd Gurley questions. Like, Todd, what about your knee? And, And what about this? And what about this play call? And he is tired of it. I'm sure. I'm sure anybody would. But this last presser... To me, raise some eyebrows. I know it raised some other eyebrows. His comments, check it out. This is what he said when asked to quoting. He was asked if it's frustrating that he's not getting the ball as much as he has in the past. He says, I control what I control. At the end of the day, we didn't get the win whether I had 20 carries or 2 carries. Definitely want to get the win. That's the main thing, but see how next on Thursday. They asked him then on if he is seeing things from opposing offense or opposing defenses that are making them more reluctant to run the ball. He says, I don't call the plays, bro, is what he says. Then, someone falls up on how he maintains a rhythm when he's not running the ball as much, but still on the field. He says, like I say, I don't call the plays. I go out there and play. I block for JG, uh, Jerry Goff, run the ball, run the routes, whatever, whatever the play call is. So, it's to me, just based on that short interlude, he seems frustrated to me. You're a running, running backs are a strange breed. If you're a starting running back in the NFL, you expect to get the football, and you expect to be able to make plays with that football, and that's not happening. He's, he's being, that's what he's being paid to do. So, to me, Mike, tell me if I'm wrong the this is not the panic button this is not it this is not anything major but i I get the sense after watching that game on Sunday that I think there are some things going on internally with this team right now I don't know if it's major or minor but I think there's some things within this roster with the coaching staffs that need to be worked out that's the impression I'm getting by some of the things we saw on the field on Sunday night
2: yeah I mean it's there's <laughs> There's some obvious nuances that just don't make a lot of sense in regards to Yeah, I understand McVeigh was like, well, you know, the score got away from us, so but at twenty one nothing, you still have a lot of ball game that you can try to get the running game going to actually open up the passing game. How about that? But it just seems to me there's just something whether they were just kind of covering up the off season because I think Todd pretty much does his own thing with his own trainers and all those kinds of things but it's just something that happens when some of these guys get the big dollars and I don't know if he has incentives in his contract that if he gets a certain amount of touches he gets x y z or what have you but there's no way you pay a back, this type of money, and he gets five touches. There's no way that that can happen. And then Sean McVay can say whatever. But it's like us, last week, we came out to shoot just throwing the ball. Well, we have probably one of the top backs in the area, if not the state. And I go tell my offensive OC, I said, coach, we need to get the ball To Mr. Wilson, that's our running back. And he goes, I got you, coach. And then we start running and we call it pounding rock and start opening up some other things. And then we kind of went back to what he had planned out. So I can't imagine them being in the NFL, knowing what Cart Todd Gurley's done, unless there's something wrong or unless there's something in contracts or unless Todd has done something that they're going like, okay, we got to ring you in a little bit, and maybe we just haven't heard about it. But there's just obviously something going on, and it's only going to be so long he's going to hold the company line. And
4: it may be just as simple as he goes out on Thursday night and runs for 150 yards. It may be. Honestly, they need to. To me, when you have a young offensive line, The best way to get them in gear is get them running the football. All they have to do at that point is push. Get the assignments out there. Push. They don't have to worry about all the different pass rushers coming their way, off the edge, running blitzes. Push where they need to go. That gives them a chance to get in the game, get aggressive. It's like the end of the year last year when the Rams were having some hard time dealing with the pass rush. And Todd goes down. What do they do? What they focus on? You remember?
2: Yeah. I mean, they started giving the ball to uh Good old CJ. Mike, you know what I mean? And so, and he started pounding rock up inside and things like that. And so, you know, earlier you talked a lot in the summer about, you know, man, I hope this year they get to the tight ends more involved. Well, it may come down to, you know what, Mr. McVay, Coach McVay, let's go two tights. Let's go two backs. And let's see what this other team actually has take some of these hits, and let's see what you have. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the game plan is, but because Coach McVay, Todd Gurley, they got to keep answering these questions, I'm telling you, eventually one of them is going to, well, it's probably not going to be Coach McVay, but I would imagine Todd Gurley, because once you start talking like you're in the locker room, hey, bro, that means this guy. Something's about to be said, so let us either keep asking questions and get something out of them, or you know what? Seems like Todd is getting a little. But once you start using bro, like, huh, what, homeboy, bro? Okay, these are journalists, right? Addressing that, but once you go to the bro code, something's probably yeah. about to go down. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
4: and that's really something that you have to you have to think about in terms of how do you want this to go. We mentioned the tight ends throughout the summer. And, you know, Gerald Everett made a pretty big impact in this game. And we're certain to see if they just get him involved, if they get the ball in his hands, he can make some plays. Why not get the tight end more involved in the game? Why do you have to have a certain set? Why? You have across the board, skill position for skill position, offensively, I challenge anybody to tell me, that their team is more talented skill position-wise than the Rams right now. They're deep on wide receivers, are deep at tight end. I really believe that tight end position is underrated for them. They don't use it enough, but when they do use the tight ends, they make plays. And you had Todd Gurley and Malcolm Brown. Malcolm Brown can be a starter in this league very easily. He would be very easily on many teams in this league. And then you have a young draft pick behind Daryl Henderson, who we know is just to learn the offense. So they're deep in all these places, And yet, sometimes you just got to find a way to use them. If it's not working the way you want to work, if you have to make adjustments, what team in the NFL has more weapons right now than the Rams do? What team?
2: Right, right. And so this is where things start getting a little dicey with Coach McVeigh or the pundits and the people like, oh, you know, I saw Hasselback saying something in regards to, well, we're the ones who anointed him, offensive guru, and so on and so forth. So now the question becomes, okay, Coach McVay, is that all you have? Or is this just typical of a team who went to the Super Bowl, and typically this is what happens a lot of times the next year. It's just not an easy ride across the board. But as you noted earlier, it's not like the Rams are one and three; they're literally three and one.
4: And they can get together. Offensive lines take time to gel when you have new folks in there. The, to yes. me, the concern is: Are you giving that offensive line the opportunity to gel? One of the best ways to get in the gel is is get the running game going, get them get them together as one unit, push in the football, and things change. Things change drastically, and you need to honestly—they got to protect Jared Goff too. Young quarterbacks have enough on their plate, and then he's running for his life. You do not want this kid getting David Carr syndrome. You don't. And I know we haven't even gotten to Goff yet, because he. But he took so much heat in this game. One of the things I took time to watch because I know Tommy talks about it. i heard other guys talk. I heard Browns fans at the game talk about it. Look at how Jared Goff throws a football if given just the right amount of time, and specifically look at how he throws his out passes. I'm telling you right now, there's nobody better in the game. Not, I, I don't care if you're talking about Russell Wilson, Carson Wentz, Pat Mahomes. Go back and look at the film. If you give him time and he runs his, all the, the deep outs, intermediate outs, nobody throws him better than him. I'm dead serious. So the accuracy is there, but you have to give him time. The other things will catch up. So he still struggles with some progressions. That will come if you give him time to keep working it. And I know just enough time. I'm not saying you give him 10 minutes back there because you're not really learning anything then. He needs to get a rush. He needs to have some pass rush. But you need to give this kid time to think, you know, he, I'm going to say it like this, and, and I'm going to knock on wood at first. Knock on wood, Mike. The Rams have a responsibility here to make sure they don't get this quarterback killed. Right. I'm dead serious. They got. They have to patch it up. It's reminded me of Kurt Warner in 2000 all over again, 2002 all over again. Mike Marsh is one of the greatest offensive minds to ever right. walk the face of the earth. But the one thing his offenses did do was he got his quarterbacks hurt. And what we're seeing is that same thing happening. So knock on wood, because we don't want that. But Jared Goff, you got to protect this guy for, for mental reasons, for physical health reasons, for his development you know, he has to learn several things. We, you know, again, we're not the, def- I'm not defending Jared Goff. So I'm going to send Defending Jared Goff. Jared Goff made some bad decisions in this game. My only question to you is go back and look and why did he even have to make those decisions to begin with? Why was he put in that position? And a lot of it goes back to the scheme and how they were running the offense. That's all I want to say. This is not saying that Jared Goff didn't screw up. I'm saying he had help.
2: Well, the biggest thing is from a Defender standpoint is the goal is to get the quarterback out of his comfort zone, whatever that is. You know, if a guy like uh, Patrick Mahomes, he likes to be a guy that's a playmaker out on the edge. Well, then you keep him in the pocket. If a guy like Jared Goff kills you from the pocket, well, we run you out of the pocket. But at the end of the day, there are guys on defense that big dudes that are chasing you okay and it's what I ask our kids how many hits does the quarterback have to take to prove that he's a tough guy or how many hits does he have to take before we figure oh we need to block for him like is it 15 is it 20 is it 5 like how many so the thing is any human being And especially at that level, if you're getting hit by guys that are running really fast and are really big, I don't care how much padding, there's only so many hits you're going to take before you start thinking about the game and man, you know, these guys are on me. So that's what you're talking about. You get any quarterback from Dan Moran on down when they were in games where they couldn't do what they do, have time to pass, then they become pedestrian. It doesn't matter who it is. I
4: mean, we saw that in the Super Bowl. In the Super Bowl I'm talking yes. about, isn't Jared Goff, it's Tom Brady. Right. If you would have told me the Rams were going to hold Tom Brady and the Patriots to only 13 points in the Super Bowl, A, I would have thought you crazy, and B, I would have thought the Rams won the Super Bowl. Okay? They didn't, because the Rams struggled as well, but they held Tom Brady in his offense at 13 points. And they hit Brady. They went after Brady. They really, really put him in a position where he was uncomfortable. And you know what? It wasn't Tom Brady's best game. He made That's mistakes. Right. He struggled. right. I don't care if you're Johnny Unitas out there. Exactly. If you are running for your life, you're not going to have your best game. They, uh, he took a lot of criticism for a pass the one that for Cooks, that he was wide open. It was a touchdown, okay? And he was just off on the throw. People forgetting, go back and look. He was running out of the pocket. He was under a rush, and he threw the ball, okay? It wasn't like he was just standing there planted. He was on the run when he threw that football. Guys, he wasn't in his normal spot. So, yeah, there's a chance that ball's going to be off. He's on the run. He overthrew Everett. Was it Everett? Okay, Those happen. Rather, you overthrow than underthrow. They're going to happen. Quarterbacks, it doesn't matter. Every quarterback misses. Everybody. But if you're going to pick on, well, he missed the deep throw, he missed this, dude, go back and watch the film on that. Watch the film. And look, he was under duress. Almost all of his mistakes come under duress. Why? Because he's trying to make a play. Now, right, right. I mean, even in some cases, he doesn't have a choice. Like, he's trapped, (laughs) you know, so he can eat the sack. And then, and then people get mad at him because he ate the sack. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. When he's surrounded by dudes, okay? You know, right. he's not getting rid of it anywhere, okay? It's not happening. So, no matter what you do, when you're the quarterback of the franchise, you're going to take heat. And because it's Jared Goff for some reason, there he goes after. Jared Goff in that game had some great throws. He had some bad throws. He had some bad reads. He had some good reads. There's lots of good there. There's lots of bad there. But... The blame for the loss does not sit solely on his shoulders. It does not. The offensive line is the last in the league right now, and for good reason. And Sean McVay, his scheme on this game, he's again, he's a better coach than me. I'm not a better coach. I don't know the game as well as he does. I'm just saying, in that moment, in that time, he made some bad choices for whatever reason, and this is what happened. Does it make him... Any less of a football person than me, of course not. What I'm just saying is, even the best coaches in history make mistakes. And it's obvious that in the game plan that day, a detrimental mistake for his team.
2: Yeah, and and you you got to realize that regardless of the team across the... Bruce Arians is a pretty good coach. I mean, we saw what he did all the years when he was in Arizona. So it's not like he was coaching against a first-year coach didn't know how to pick his staff. No, he has some good coaches on the team. And who's to say the games Tampa Bay lost early weren't flukes that they just, you know, new scheme or whatever, and they're trying to gel. And who's to say they're better than what their record is. But as you noted earlier, when you're at home, that's got to be somewhat sacred in that you got to take care of home field. And usually if you do that, you have a pretty successful season. So, you know, it's pretty hard for us to stomach like, wow, a team comes from the other coast and, you know, they beat us by 15, but not only was it 15, they, I mean, they almost put up 60 on us. So, and that that's something that has to be dealt with defensively because me being a defensive coordinator for our school My thing is, no, I want to make sure we're getting the ball back into the offense's hands as quick as possible, creating turnovers, and it doesn't matter. If we don't let them score, we're never going to lose. That's kind of my goal every game, you know. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this thing plays out with Gurley and golf, and, you know, is there infighting now? Is there going to be fingers pointing? You know, I don't know.
4: Hopefully they just gel. Hopefully they figure, you know, I, I'm a, a believer this is a marathon. And sometimes that marathon covers multiple seasons. And when you have a young offensive line, it might just take a year or two to really come together the way you need to come together. They're young guys. Right. And hopefully right. people can be patient about that. Hopefully you can look at the future and say, Okay, it's still there. I would say that it just takes time when you make so many changes in the off season for everything to come together. It does not mean they're any less Super Bowl contender, but they have to find the answers and they have to find it quick. You got Seattle this Thursday, which we're about to get to. You got San Francisco. Right. You could be in serious trouble here if you don't pull things together. There's a reason why a lot of simulations had the Rams struggling early in the year. People forget that. Some people, they, some folks had the Rams starting off the year at like 3-6. and six. I don't believe they're going to be 3-6. and six, Not for the life of me. Never. No. I mean, they're too good for that They're too talented. But... The reason why is because they have these gaps, these things that they have to people have to worry about. So, all right, folks, it is time to get us, for us to get to Seattle. Before we do, we do want to go ahead and give a shout out to our sponsors over my myBookie. Check out the promo with them. If you happen to like this stuff, man, use the promo code. You'll get a little bit a little bit off. Here it is. All right, also, Jim Hawk, our longtime sponsor, and it's, I love getting emails from him. He like, he just sent me an email after the game on Sunday, kind of giving his take on it. Let's just say he wasn't happy either. But Jim, longtime supporter for us here, he provided us with a great opportunity to build this place up. And so, least we can do is talk to you about this great book he wrote. Okay, Most of us, I mean, seriously, me... I am hooked on Rams history. That is actually how Michael Stewart here wound up becoming a part of the staff because I reached out to him to talk Rams history with him, and we hit it off. And now look, he's Michael Stewart, the podcast host. So <laughs> becomes from Mister Mister Derek's history addiction. Okay. I love Rams history. Many people do. If you love Rams history, you want to learn about those 1950 Rams. Jim Hawks got the story for you. It's Hall team, grit, glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. Folks, it's a story about his dad, John. He was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. So check out the son's story of, a fa- of his father, the team he played for, this era of glitz, glamour, feature Hall. We're talking about the Rams in the real Peak period in terms of growth in Hollywood. Like the stars. This is who these guys were. They were stars out there. Norm Van Brocklin, Elroy, Craigslist Hurst, Tom Fierce, Les Richter. All these wonderful, amazing players. You get the story on them. Check it out. Hawks book is online at Hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter, Hollywood's team. It's available both at Hardback, Electronic Forum, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Paperback. It's on the way as well. You can find this book pretty much everywhere if you love sports books. I've read it. Many people on our staff have read it. It goes to a great cause, Homeboy Industries. Really, there is absolutely, there are no excuses. If you love Rams football and not, go check out this book. It's worth your time. And please do us one serious solid here. If you have read the book, go to Amazon and leave this man a review. He put his heart and soul into it. It's worth the review. Please do so. Okay. Seattle. We got in touch with Corbin Smith. He's now the head honcho for the Locked on Seahawks podcast. He's been on, he's just all over the place. This guy covers everything Seahawks. Let's get you in. Here it is. Corbin Smith for Locked on Seahawks. All right, folks, we're here to Corbin Smith. Now, I I kid you not, every time we call Corbin, Corbin always has a different place. I think he's settled now with Locked on Seahawks. Is that correct, buddy? Locked yep, on Seahawks. That's correct.
1: Locked oh on Seahawks God. daily podcast. So I got I got to give you
4: props for this reason because you have been the epitome of hard work. Last first we first met you, you were Legion of Twelve. You kept moving in, up the chain, going to the Seahawks wire, uh, Seahawk Maven. Now you're with Locked On Seahawks, which you know all the Locked On podcasts are pretty stinking good. And you know that's that's some props, man. Uh, just the hard work. Congratulations on all the work you've done.
1: Yeah, it's been nice to you know reap the rewards and you know, still getting to write for Seahawk Maven to handle my journalist uh, yeah. responsibilities and, and then also have the Locked On podcast. Uh, it's been nice. Uh, <laughs> the work has not slowed down, though. If anything, it's accelerated with uh, the changes. So uh, it's been a lot of fun so far this season. Looking forward to talking some football here. And they do indulge your, your film study addiction, right? Eh, to an extent uh, I've had a little tougher time doing as much of that as I want to with all the other time commitments that I have but I can still uh, diverging a little bit of film occasionally so yeah well it's kind of like you know it's kind of like the, the football podcasters like
4: they just want to just stick a needle right in and just inject that right into your veins film 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 you gotta have that film so all that talking and all the film we've been watching on I'm sure both these teams this year Uh, For us on our side of this last week's debacle, it's a little frustrating. There's some good things. There's lots of bad things and lots of things are up in the air for the Seahawks. You guys looked lights out for much of that game with the Cardinals. How are you feeling about your Seahawks after the first couple weeks here?
1: so really it's been a pretty ugly season even though they've started three and one the first two games they easily could have lost those games because they were mental miscues has been the big problem for this football team and that's not abnormal for a seahawks squad at the beginning of the season but usually they find a way to lose those games week three had finally caught up with them against the saints they spotted the saints 20 points uh, really their defense has played pretty darn well most of the season but when you give up a punt return for a touchdown a fumble gets taken back for a touchdown and then you have another drive where your defense gets a stop, and then you have a really silly penalty that extends the drive when they miss the field goal. Then they eventually score a touchdown later. Uh, you can't make mistakes like that, especially against a team like the Saints, that even without Drew Brees has a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. So that has been frustrating. Sunday against the Cardinals, really the most complete this team has looked. Uh, they missed a few opportunities in the red zone, but. Otherwise, looked pretty darn good in this game defensively. Jadevian Clowney getting some pressure on quarterbacks. Michael Kendricks with two sacks. Ziggy Anza had five tackles the second game uh, with the Seahawks. So they're starting to mesh. They're starting to gel a little bit along that defensive line. So like a typical Seahawks team, starting off slow. But they found ways to win most of those games. So now if they do what they normally do and get better as the season progresses, uh, that could be good news in a really loaded NFC West division. It is loaded, and part of being loaded, though, at least loading
4: up, let me rephrase that, yes, loading up in the NFC West, when you're trying to bring down the champ, you got to go right at their weaknesses, and I think teams last year identified with the Rams, there are some holes in their game on the offensive line, and now there's some big ones, so what do the Seahawks do? They go out there and they reload everything up, like the four ers says, as well, you guys are building the beat The best to be the best again. How have the Seahawks overall, in your view, succeeded in preparing to try and retake the NFC West Division?
1: I think the two biggest things they've done, obviously first uh, upgrading their defensive end spots, Ziggy Anza, they're still waiting and seeing if he can be the same player that he was in Detroit, had a couple double-digit sack seasons coming off shoulder surgery. But like I said, there were some signs in this last game against Arizona that he's starting to get back to who he used to be. Still waiting to see that explosive burst from him off the line, but he did get his first sack as a Seahawk. Clowney with an incredible 27-yard interception return for a touchdown. And I know that he's a player player that last time he played against the Rams they had a lot of trouble blocking him now that he's getting used to the scheme I think that was his big problem the first few games as he was trying to adjust to a new defense on the fly both those guys didn't have the preseason and training camp for much different reasons now they're starting to figure things out and and then they've got x factors like Quentin Jefferson who's returning for his fourth season he's maybe been their most consistent best defensive alignment through four games so they've really bolstered that front line even after trading frank clark they were able to turn trading frank clark into getting clowny drafting lj collier out of tcu and getting a bunch of additional draft picks so john schneider made pretty well there i think the other thing that has been notable the first few games here has been the uh, the secondary improving the first game they gave up over 400 passing yards to the bengals and that looked pretty worrisome but the last three games they've been playing much better especially cornerback shaquille griffin who two of his worst games last year were against the Rams. He's going to be out to prove you know what? I finally have arrived. This is a guy when they drafted him two years ago they thought he was going to become a shutdown corner and that has not happened the first two years but he lost some weight, got back down 194 pounds this offseason. He looks really athletic, really twitchy out there. He's making plays on the football. It just seems like it's a matter of time until he starts turning some of these plays into interceptions so he's, I'm sure, very motivated going into this game against the rams offense has had a lot of success passing the football against the seahawks the last two years they're going to be out to change the narrative a little bit with that secondary making some strides this season and now you've looking at that secondary
4: teams this year have been successful with the rams when they keep the ball in front of them especially with the pass rush forced the rams to move more to the outside sidelines Do the Seahawks right now have the secondary to be able to keep the ball in front of them that way and not get beat by
1: guys like Cooks and Woods on the outside? I think they're better suited to do that this year than what they have been in the the past. And what's really interesting, Derek, is they're running a lot more base defense this year. Michael Kendricks is here from the start of the season on, you know, he's not suspended anymore. So they've got Kendricks, Wagner and a healthy KJ, Wright, And they are at their best when they have 11 players on the field. Their best 11 players on the field are, you know, their four, three base guys when they can have all three of those linebackers out there. And so the Cardinals game here, Cardinals have four or five wide receiver sets. Pete Carroll doesn't care. He's still throwing his base defense out there, and they're still finding ways to keep the football in front of them. They've done a nice job the last few weeks of eliminating explosives. So, obviously, this is a different beast going against the Rams. They have more talent at the receiver position. The one big issue that they've had has been defending running backs as receivers. Alvin Kamara was killing them, breaking tackles two weeks ago. David Johnson had eight receptions for 99 yards on Sunday. So, The Rams are probably looking at the film thinking, okay, can we get Todd Gurley out there with the football and throw it out to him and see if he can make some guys miss, break some tackles like these other backs have done? That, to me, would be the biggest concern for the Seahawks with that keeping everything in front of them strategy. you still got to get the guy down to the ground. But as far as receivers go, since week one, they've done a much better job eliminating those downfield plays. What about in the slot?
4: We just got back. Cooper Cup. He looks better than he did before he got hurt, which is unbelievable. There are probably not some some great memories for Cooper Cup playing against the Seahawks now. You know, after last year, he's back. How are the Seahawks right now dealing with dudes in the slot,
1: especially ones who are multi-talented? They haven't had a lot of experience these first four games. I mean, Smith Schuster for the Steelers was playing a lot out of the slot, but obviously they lost Ben Roethlisberger during that game. Mason Rudolph was playing the second half. Uh, Jamar Taylor was brought back in week two. He is their slot guy now, and he's been solid when they've had to use him. But again, they've been playing mostly their base four three defense. I'm really curious to see what they're going to do because Cooper Cup's the best slot receiver that they have played against up to this point. Is that going to change for? their hands a little bit here and force them to keep two linebackers in the field and bring in an extra corner for more action than what they've done I'm really curious to see what the Seahawks do because I don't think they want to end up in a situation where Michael Kendricks is trying to defend Cooper Cup out of the slot very often if at all so I'm really curious to see what they choose to do there they may go with a three safety look too Uh, They could do a lot of different things with their defense, but I'm just really curious how the Seahawks are going to play out, and and honestly, I can't tell you exactly what their game plan is going to be, especially on short rest. I just know up to this point, all four games, they have played primarily with their base defense with three linebackers on the field, far more than they've done with nickel and dime packages with extra defensive backs out there. What about defending the tight ends
4: position? The Rams came out last week and, and put a lot more focus on both tight ends, Tyler Higbee and Sherald Everett, who's been kind of the guy, been waiting, waiting,
1: waiting to see what happens. Defensively right now, tight ends, how are you doing it? I think right now the tight end position, the way they've been playing defensively, that has actually played into their hands a little bit more. They gave up quite a bit of yardage to the Bengals' tight ends in the season opener. But that game I've kind of thrown out as an outlier just because they didn't know what the Bengals were going to do with the new head coach. They didn't have any game film to prepare, so they were just kind of winging it a little bit as the game went on. I think if those two teams played again, it would be pretty ugly. Seahawks would take care of business. But uh, since then, Vance McDonald had a couple touchdowns when they played against the the Steelers, but both of them came after turnovers, and it was under with short field, so the defense didn't have much of a fighting chance. Aside from that, they've done pretty well against tight ends, and I think they are comfortable with Michael Kendricks and K.J. Wright defending against tight ends. They're good enough in coverage. They're athletic enough. They have enough size that they can defend in that capacity, so if they're going to be playing that 4-3 base, I don't think they're as concerned about defending tight ends as maybe they've been in earlier time periods when the Legion of Boom was at its peak. That's how teams attacked them was the tight end position. I think with the uh, with the personnel they've got right now, though, that's maybe less of a concern than it's been in earlier years. Flipping around, going up
4: against the Rams offense, we have all kinds of different things you've addressed. What about the Seahawks offense? Last year, you guys were a hardcore run team, backed away from that normal Russell Wilson passing the ball. This year's been different again. How has this offense evolved, and what do you think are the keys to being the Rams defense this week?
1: Well, you know, sometimes you got to go back to what's worked in the past. So I know that this team has they've relied more on the quick passing game. They've been a little less predictable early downs, more first down passing. So kudos to Brian Schottenheimer for that. That's something that fans were clamoring for. Is still not the perfect offensive coordinator. He's been getting plenty of flack for you know just let Russell Wilson win the game early, and that's not always the case. They did that this past weekend against the Cardinals. But sometimes, like I said, you got to go back to what's worked in the past, and I still think looking at the Rams defense, You can't let Aaron Donald single-handedly ruin your game plan, and I think the best way to minimize his impact is getting that downhill running game going and preventing him from pinning his ears back. If they end up behind the sticks a bunch in this game, there's a chance it can get ugly because that offensive line for Seattle is still not great. They've been kind of disappointing, to be honest, these first four weeks of the season, and they haven't faced anybody like Aaron Donald yet. So if they end up in positions where Russell Wilson's under duress, the, the line, not protecting they're behind the sticks they're going to be in trouble but I still think especially coming off their best game running the football on Sunday Chris Carson looked like Marshawn Lynch out there just breaking tackles left and right I expect they're going to be feeding him early and often. Rashad Penny's going to be back. He had a big game against the Rams last year. They're going to stick with that run game here. So while I expect that you may see a little more passing on early downs as we've seen all season, I still think they're going to go to that running game and they're going to lean on it against this Rams defense because I still think that's where the advantage lies for Schottenheimer's offense. For your running games,
4: right? for the running game right here, you guys did a great job really establishing things, surprise everybody. But you just mentioned you have concerns about the offensive line. What is different with the offensive line this year that has you concerned about where they are?
1: Well, There's a couple things that jump out. For one, Jermaine Effetti at the right tackle spot. He made some big improvements last year. This year, it seems like at best, he's flatlined. In his fourth year, he's had some real trouble giving up pressures at the right tackle spot. And Mike Upati has been banged up going into the season. Last week was his best game easily for them at left guard. He looked pretty good. So the key is keeping him healthy. Durability has been a problem. Same thing for DJ Fluker. Justin Britt was battling, I think, playing through a knee injury the first couple games. He got banged up in the opener. So he looked a lot better on Sunday as well. So maybe that was just health-related. The interior line was struggling. Maybe the most concerning thing to me right now has been Dwayne Brown at left tackle. He's thirty. 34 years old. It, it seems like he is not playing it near as high of a level as he did last season. He had a lot of trouble with Terrell Suggs last week. So he's also been nursing a biceps injury, though. So maybe that's playing a role there as well. Not 100% sure on that. But certainly we know in the NFL, guys can look great. 32 33 years old and then they can just hit a wall i don't think that Dwayne brown has reached that point yet but certainly his performance has taken a bit of a dip at the left tackle spot this year which the seahawks cannot afford to have happen he is the linchpin of that offensive line so hopefully it's just health related and you know getting those preseason reps the first four games of the season out of the way and he's going to start playing at a higher level kind of similar to what whitworth's been dealing with on the rams Mm -hmm. line yeah, and the, Rams, and the
4: Rams line right now is a mess across the board. makes you really rethink the strategy in terms of letting two veterans go and not going higher in the draft for offensive line guy. On your offensive line, though, the potential still there at the very least get back into the run blocking the way you guys were last year. In terms of offensive scheming, has the offensive line's struggles affected at all any of the play calling, though?
1: I think that they've had – there's been a few games. I'll give you an example. The Pittsburgh Steelers game in week two. They really had to rely on that quick passing game early because the first half, the Steelers were getting so much quick pressure – in the pass rushing department and they really were shutting the run game down the quick passing game ended up opening up the run game in the second half and so you really have seen like i said earlier that's kind of been something that's been a bit of a development this year as they've really incorporated that quick strike passing game more than what we've seen in prior seasons especially the first year that schottenheimer was the coordinator so you're seeing more of that trying to negate the issues that offensive line has had. Last week, I saw more play-action shots, more downfield opportunities for the Seahawks. Russell Wilson's still able to extend plays uh, that appear to be broken using his legs. And at the same time, he's shown some maturity, and he's more willing to take hits in the pocket now than he would have earlier in his career. So uh, the Seahawks, I think, are still planning to be an explosive downfield passing team. That's what they want to do when they throw the football. But... Early on in the season, the, the offensive line is not allowed that to happen if they continue to improve like I said this was their best game up front against the Cardinals who I think their front line Arizona's is okay Terrell Suggs Chandler Jones they've got some guys can get after the quarterback so it was a decent test their secondary is a major issue for them but that front line is solid so I think it was a decent measuring stick for where this team is going getting Mike Potty healthy back in the lineup is a big deal Fluker played his best game Britt looks much better than did early in the season so I think there's some reason for optimism there for this front line but this is still a team that's built around running the football their line is built to run the football this is not a team that has assembled its offensive line wanting to throw 50 times a game so the fans that are wanting that the personnel just doesn't match up for that
4: but you do have a young rookie named dk metcalf he was kind of the story on draft day the way he dropped and dropped and the seahawks finally got him how is he adapted to the nfl game is he looking like your big number one in the
1: future give us the feeling here DK Metcalf last week was his worst game as a, as a rookie so far. Just one reception for six yards. Uh, he, I believe he had four or five targets. Russell Wilson was struggling to get the football to him, but... Uh, What you've seen, this is the obvious. You knew he was going to be a downfield threat. He's made a couple outstanding receptions downfield. Uh, Russell Wilson loves those deep balls, so that's been a perfect fit. And he's also showed that he's a little better route runner than people realize. He's still mostly running verticals downfield because that's his strength, and the Seahawks would be stupid not to do that with a guy that has his size and athleticism, but he's uh, made a couple really nice receptions this year where he was able to get away from corners, with nice route-running savvy. So I still think he's got a lot of room to grow in that department, but maybe it was more the offense he was playing in in college than his skill set that limited his route-running on his college film. What I've seen, he's a little more versatile than people realize. I think he's going to bounce back from last week. Rookies, All rookies deal with those games that they're going to have where It's kind of a welcome to the NFL moment from a negative standpoint. I think Sunday was that for him. He's going to be hungry, motivated to come out. But overall, he's looked really good. And Russell Wilson has shown a lot of trust in him. That's the big thing here. You can tell those guys already have pretty good rapport going. They're trying to fix up their fade routes. That's been a little bit of a struggle here. But overall, they have to be pretty pleased with where he's at in his development, especially after missing three preseason games with a knee injury and having a minor surgery. He came out in week one and looked great. So the Seahawks have to be pleased. So what are your overall X factors for this game? I think it comes down to the offensive lines for both teams and quarterback versus quarterback. And big reason I'm mentioning the offensive lines, is, as you talked about, uh, the Rams O-line, it's been an absolute struggle for them. Uh, They've kind of taken on the Seahawks role from a few years ago. That's how bad they've looked these first four games, and, and that's really been an issue for Jared Goff. They've been able to run the ball when they've actually ran the ball, when they've actually tried to. They've got decent numbers, but they haven't really been able to get the balance on offense because of the offensive line. And so I look at Seattle's front four, getting Ziggy Anza back, Jadavion Clowney's figuring things out, Quentin Jefferson, Puna Ford's a really good defensive line in the interior, Rasheem Green is making some strides. Uh, I think this is a game that they can get some pressure on Jared Goff, and if they're able to do that, we saw what happened last weekend, especially Mm -hmm. playing in Seattle, that could be a major problem. So... Seattle on the the other side, they've got to deal with Aaron Donald and company, and they've had their troubles with that. So on the Seahawks' side, it's more about the run blocking. Are they able to establish the line of scrimmage as they did both times these teams met last year? If they're able to do that, it's going to slow down that pass rush, and they'll be able to take their shots as they did in those two games last season. So to me, it comes down to line play and the quarterbacks. If Jared Goff has time to throw as he did last year, He's going to have a great chance for success against the Seahawks defense. But if he's not able to, we've seen him on court quite a few interceptions early this season. I think Seattle can force him into some turnovers. It really comes down to that offensive line on each side. That is the ultimate X factor here.
4: One thing I do want to ask about, and I mean no offense to Seattle fans, okay? Home field in the past 10 years in Seattle, or longer really, has been, you know, like you call it the 12th man. Last couple years, though, I think it really sort of began with that Rams game, that debacle for Seattle a couple years ago, which I'm sure you have no inclination to talk about. Um, We've seen them take some losses at home, like the Sands game. Is the old home field stigma about the 12th man there gone,
1: or what's really been the Seahawks' problems in these big games at home? I don't think that it's gone necessarily. I think you see this a lot of times with teams when they have a lot of sustained success. uh, Ticket prices get driven up and I do think that's impacted some of the people that can actually go to games I do think there's some reality to that maybe that's caused the crowd noise to be a little less but you know I really don't think it's as big of a factor as what you're letting on being at the home games last year Mm -hmm. the Seahawks finished off the year on a really strong note at home if you were at the game against Minnesota their game against Green Bay the Chiefs game when Patrick Mahomes came it was deafening in that building so I still think that it lives up to the reputation obviously that game against the rams a few years ago i don't think it matters what your home crowd is when you're getting smoked like that uh people are going to disappear but i don't think the home field advantage has dissipated at all that that saints game a few weeks ago crowd noise had nothing to do with it they just made a bunch of really stupid mental mistakes that gave the other team free points so has nothing to do with the crowd the Seahawks still have one of the best fan bases out there as far as ramping up noise at games being loud and I expect it's going to be that way on Thursday night too you know, I think sometimes we get away from the actual idea that sometimes it's really
4: about the teams who are playing and the job that those teams do. Uh, this last home loss for the Rams against Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay just played a great game. And they forced the Rams to make some serious, serious mistakes. I'm sure people uh, like Pete Carroll are like, ooh, film, this is great stuff. Now, they provide lots of film on how to beat the Rams. And, you know, we I think sometimes it's just the stigma. Home field, it's a great thing to have. Fans are great. It, they provide great support, but it still comes down to the players in the field. And if you put together a great game, it doesn't matter who's it's the there. NFL. Crazy yeah. things happen every Crazy things. Every bad crazy week. things happen. And some of those things can change an entire fortune of a season, unfortunately. So overall, make the call, man. What's your prediction, Corbin?
1: I'm going to go with Seahawks 34, Rams 28. I think it's going to be just like last year, very close. To me, the difference maker is the quarterback position right now. I think all things equal. Russell Wilson right now is playing at the best he has played in his entire NFL career, and the stats back it up. Eight touchdowns, no picks so far, hovering around 72% completion percentage. He's firing on all cylinders. When he's had to run the ball, he looks as spry as he has looked in four or five years. I mean, he looks explosive running the ball I expect that his legs are going to be a factor in this football game if Jared Goff has time to throw then certainly he's going to be able to find success I just think if all things are held equal which I think these are very equal teams in a lot of different ways especially with the fact both offensive lines have struggled I'm rolling with Russell Wilson every single time the way he's playing right now that's the difference to me he makes a few more throws uh, maybe uses his legs a little bit and that's going to be the difference in a very close game. So, again, 34-28. to 28. I think the Rams are going to put points on the board, but I think Seattle's going to be able to find just enough success throwing the football along with the run game to get the home win on Thursday night.
4: Awesome. Thank you so much, Horner, for taking the time. You're always a great guest, always great insight on the Seattle Seahawks. You can let people know where they can find you on social media. And I have to make you do that because you've, like I said, you've been getting around. You've been making some major things happen where are you at now.
1: So I still have the same Twitter handle through all these changes, still Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow me there. Uh, You can follow our podcast, Locked underscore Seahawks. It's a Locked on Seahawks account. And you can visit our website, si.com slash NFL slash Seahawks. Really fired up to be affiliated with Sports Illustrated this year through Maven. Uh, It's going to be a really exciting first season with that development. So you can check out my work at all those places. Awesome. Corbin, thanks so much again.
4: I really appreciate your time as always, and I guess we'll see you later in the season. Sounds good. All right. Take care. All right, Mike, here it is. Break it down for me. What are your thoughts for this Thursday?
2: Well, this Thursday obviously is a game we have to have uh, because, again, when you look at division and you start talking about playoffs and things like that, but. they're going up north, so it's going to be an environment that is absolutely going to be advantageous for the Seattle fan base, in that it's one of the louder stadiums. Uh, so, and they know how to to put it on the opposing team. So, again, is it a game we can win? Yeah, I, I think what the I keep to leave said earlier in the week. One of the good things about having a short week. Is you don't have a lot of time to dwell on the last game. You got to get moving. So hopefully that'll play out, but we're going to need to be able to run the ball a little bit more. And we're going to need to help with, I'm going to say, maybe the shorter passing tree so that golf, Jared can get that ball out a little more quicker. And definitely we got to shut down some of the turnovers. But we definitely got to just get the ball. And, and it, you're going to be playing uh, the Hawks. Their defense isn't, isn't as stellar as it's been, but playing at home, it's probably going to seem like it is. So uh, we need to make sure we're at least getting a few first downs before we have to punt.
4: It needs to happen. You really need to move the ball, get some push, get that getting out of the game. It's all, Corbin mentions it, it's all about the offensive lines this game. If it's about the offensive lines and the Rams, are able to create that push against some strong, strong competition. And we're talking Clowney, Anza. I mean, those, those guys are amazing athletes. They're going to create a pass rush. They're going to create havoc. They need to be able to get the Seattle defense on their heels. The secondary is vulnerable for the Seattle Seahawks. You have to move the football. And another key thing, Mike, that I want to see on this, on this day, Seattle is... I'm going to be honest, and folks aren't going to like this. To me, Seattle is a Super Bowl contender. They haven't gelled yet in that respect. They're a lot like us, but they have talent at the skill positions. They have the ability to really make some plays defensively. They don't need to be a juggernaut offensively. They have loads of talent on defense. They built that defense to beat the Rams. So right now, to me, Seattle is neck and neck with the Rams overall. In the NFC West, San Francisco, I have some doubts because I haven't seen them play any of the contenders quite yet. But that's going to change real soon. So I look at this and I think this is, in a lot of ways, almost a must win for the Rams. And the reason why it is, is because of the way they've played thus far. You go back week one, week two, week three. When was the last time we saw the Rams put on a complete performance? Right. And I think that's... That's the center of a lot of complaints. Like, why have Rams fans been salty even after the wins? And I think it's because they haven't looked good in those wins. There's, there have been a lot of issues. There have been a lot of good things to talk about. But can we go back to the Carolina game and think, you know, they look good? No. The, the game in Cleveland, they look good? No. Week two, how'd they look out there? All right. I mean, the Saints... Right. The right. Saints game, it was 27-9, but it was really a case of the Rams pulling away in that game. They weren't dominant for much of it. It was just a tough physical game, and the Rams out physical the Saints. But it was right. pretty. I right. think I think Rams fans, to me, are upset because they're not the team that they expect in terms of excellence. And what I mean by that is you don't expect perfection because it's not going to happen. No team is perfect. Every team makes mistakes. But the Rams have raised the bar in terms of excellence now. Four years ago, you didn't expect that. We expect excellence. And when you see a lot of ridiculous mistakes, when you're seeing, say, your center missing assignment, or you're seeing your right tackle getting blown off the football, and, and in this case, Havenstein is having a bad year. He's getting blown off the ball left and right. When you're seeing things happen with guys who are making a lot of money, that's what they're getting paid to do. You're not going to be happy. Even when, it gets ridiculous to me when people are saying, "Hey, you should be happy. You're 3 and 1." Well, oh, yeah, you sure you should be happy. But it doesn't mean that you're going to be satisfied with the overall performance because you expect more. They've 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 built that in you, right? You are still going to support your team. You're still going to want to see them do well. But if you're a fan and you after or you've been spoiled by the last couple of years on McVeigh, you've come to expect greatness. You've come to expect them to seek greatness. And what the Rams showed on Sunday was a team that was ill-prepared in many areas against a team that's quite frankly, talent-wise, even though they're better and a contender. They're still inferior, talent-wise. And that's just not acceptable.
2: Yeah, well, what you're talking about is, you know, what we do in the big world is manage expectations. Like, how do you do that with the Rams, with this anticipation of the new stadium? Oh, we got the Wonder Boy coach. Oh, we got the nice looking QB. Oh, we got Todd Gurley, superstar running back. Oh, we got and, and Sue. Well, no longer here, but we got Aaron Donald. We got this guy. We got that guy. You know, it's Showtime, LA. It's the going to be the new Lakers it's our time we're going to be the new New England Patriots every year we're in the Super Bowl no slow your roll let's bring the expectations back down to reality and that is you know we play in a pretty good division and so unlike you know New England they used to play in a tough division when the Dolphins were good and the Buffalo Bills were good and so on and so forth. So some would compare apples to apples, but I think the fact that all the hype with all the new and the expectation and all right, we're back in Cali and so on and so forth. The reality of it is you're playing good teams and they're gunning for you. So the San Francisco 49 er year juggernaut teams, the Seattle Seahawks, that's just been amazing to see them just be in a hunt year in and year out you know the saints have come on in in these last number of years to be in the hunt but even a team that used to be as great as Pittsburgh you know they're not as good as they used to be just automatically making the playoffs. so I think at the end of the day we got to get back to what's a realistic expectation on how good we can be or are given that we've had a number of changes, especially in the offensive line. line.
4: Yeah, it, it doesn't mean that you expect the team to be everlasting perfection. It means you just expect them to work towards that. You expect them to do things the right way. And when you, when you are used to watching them do things the right way and then they don't do it the right way, and you're like, well, what's wrong with the team? Why is it going on? It doesn't mean you're panicking. It doesn't mean that you are in any way a trashing the team or giving up on the team, but it's not wrong to notice when something's wrong. <laughs> you know? And as as long as it's an intelligent conversation, it should be okay to mention those things. It also doesn't mean you should go on Twitter and social media and just spend your time trashing the team either, which we've seen some folks do. That's not, that's not helpful. And it's not really true. I mean this team has still played they they've still beaten three very good teams.
5: Panthers Absolutely. are a solid team.
4: The Panthers are a solid team. The Saints are a solid team, and I mean they just beat the Cowboys. And The Saints did, and that's without Drew Brees. And the Browns, we just saw what the Browns did in Baltimore. So you right. you had a bad one out there in Tampa Bay. They didn't play your expectations. You, you go back and you you watch and you see what happened. And now they have a big one in Seattle. So we'll see. But hey, we got to go. We've been talking forever, man. This is a long show today. We, we, we wait until Wednesday. This is what happens. So that's what happens. You know, that's what happens. Mike, let's go ahead and make your predictions,
2: man. Go for it. Well, I'm gonna say, you know, our lovely Rams bounce back and uh, we win twenty-eight fourteen. Wow, you're going two touchdowns. Wow. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so, uh,
4: you know, when we the schedule early this year, I I don't like. The Thursday games, I think that puts the Rams especially disadvantaged. They're going to be tired. I think they're probably motivated to get back out there in the field, but they're also beat up too. Taylor Rapp and Bryce Hager, they're both two practices now. They're not on them. They're they're the guys in the middle right now, and and the Rams' middle is already vulnerable. Going to Seattle, I had this game on the schedule from the very beginning as a loss, and not because the Rams weren't the better team. I just think Seattle is a very good team. It's a it's a advantageous situation for them. So it's going to be exactly that. It's going to be an opportunity for the Seattle Seahawks to take advantage of that. And that's what I think happens. I think it's a, I think it's a thirty one twenty eight. game. I think it's a fun game. I think we'll have our frustrations. I think the Rams will play better. I just think it's just in a bad spot in terms of the overall scheduling it has nothing to do with the Rams being any better, It's just scheduling right now. And there you go. So, I'm calling a a hard-fought loss. I don't want to. I hope I'm wrong, but we'll see. So all that said, it is time for us to hit the road. I'm tired and cranky. I want to go to sleep. I'm getting old at 40, almost 41. And that means that Mike is really, really getting tired because I won't say his age in the year. I do know you. Didn't you have a birthday recently? I did. Happy birthday, did. man. Happy birthday. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to throw your age out there. He's older than 50, guys. I'm just saying he's older than 50. But, you know, I'm not going to throw that out there. He's spirited older than 50, by the way, he's coaching football, taking That's over right. the program. Uh, hey, happy birthday to you. And it is time, folks. So if you want to sponsor us, if you if you want to work with us to make a difference and keep the lights on and get, help produce more and more Rams coverage, reach out to us at ramstalk1945 at gmail.com. You can also leave a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We have a media kit ready to get out to you. You can find me on Twitter at DC Apollo. You can find... Mike on Twitter at 1duke23. You can find the Rams Talk Twitter feed at Talk Rams, where we're always posting about podcasts. We're talking football and basically causing hate and discontent throughout the world. Also, we have the Facebook group. We're at we're at base our page, facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. We have Rams Talk Room. We post a lot of stuff in there. Our writers are in there causing problems like Tommy and they're talking trash today. You know, so we're active in all those places. Come check them out. So, For the entire team, this is Derek Ciappala from Michael Stewart. We're out of here, and we'll talk to you post-game on Thursday night.
2: Let's do it. Let's roll.
3: The available AKG 36-speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360-degree sound so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.
5: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.